Well, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles uh, in front of you underneath the, the seat. Uh, it'll also be up on the screen. And if you have a smartphone that's able to get you uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we encourage you to do that as well. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 through 27 is what we'll be reading uh, this morning. Uh, so if you are there, uh, if you're able, go ahead and stand as we read the word of God together. Starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Lord, this is your word. And we submit to it. Lord, it's your word that has power to change our lives and and Lord there's no other book that can do this because this book is your word it's the word of God to us and I pray God that this morning you would speak to our hearts that you would minister to our hearts that you would help us to understand your word and Lord I pray that uh, for whatever we've got going on in our lives Lord I pray that you would meet us in the season that we're in Lord I pray that we would just be in tune to your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that you would block out all distractions, anything that is trying to take our mind off of the very thing that we should be focused on, which is your word. God, I pray that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all have a seat. Um, If my voice seems like it's cutting in and out, it's because it is. (laughs) Um, uh, so if, I, I've, uh, if, if I'm cracking in my voice, I've, I'm not at that stage anymore. I'm actually grown up. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Tyan said, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, the church in Corinth was an absolutely messed up church. <laughs> uh, very theologically sound, yet they were not implementing what they knew about Scripture. They we're not applying it to their own lives, hence the division, the slander, the gossip, uh, the uh, sexual immorality in the church. We've gone through it. If you've missed any part of uh, this study so far, you can catch it on YouTube, Facebook. There's even a podcast. Um, 
coolest podcast that we have out is uh, the one where there was no lights or anything in here, and it was Craig preaching. That was pretty awesome. True story. You can ask him later. Um, but First Corinthians chapter 9, I, I hope and I pray that um, this study through it has ultimately changed your thinking on what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church. Uh, because I think, really, Paul, remember, is writing to a church that was struggling to really understand what it meant to walk with the Lord. But there were also individuals involved, and maybe you're an individual today that is struggling with what it means to walk with the Lord. And maybe you've got some of these problems uh, in your own life that the Corinthians were faced with. Listen, there's good news. Uh, God's Word addresses how we should walk through these. And so... um, I, I don't feel stuck. Maybe there's some sexual immorality going on in your life. Listen, there, there's a way out, and his name is Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, listen, if I can just point you to anyone, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that died for your sins. It's Jesus that rose again from the grave. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, your church doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. And so Let's start there because this church, Gray Avenue Christian Church, does not belong to the pastor, it does not belong to the elders, it doesn't even belong to the congregation, it belongs to Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said that he would build his church, uh, and, and it's his, not mine. Uh, and so, but I want you to picture it this way, all right? So, there's a new church coming into town. Just imagine with me for a moment. There's a new church coming into town, and there's this really slick pastor. Um, we'll call him Corinthian Carl, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think that was going to be funny, but hey. Uh, he's got skinny jeans on, right? He's got the slick back hair. It ain't me because I don't got any hair. So uh, he's relevant, right? He preaches a message that all ages can relate to, and he's very just, everybody just is drawn to this church because his preaching is absolutely uh, just fantastic. He's charismatic on stage, and, and he's very biblical, verse by verse. You would walk into a service, and you're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. He's really unpacking the scripture for us. The church, by the way, has 14 services on a Sunday. <laughs> they're, they're, they're busy on Sundays. Uh, the youth group is ap- absolutely exploding, um, and it's just bursting at the seams, uh, church, youth group all around. Again, it's very biblical. The church is on point with its theology. They, they talk really well about God's word. And people from, uh, you know, the more prestigious cities are coming into Yuba City, like Rockland and Roseville and Grass Valley, et cetera, et cetera, just to come to Corinthian Carl's church, right? Uh, so you got that picture in your mind so far? Okay. Um, and, and mind you, people are just being radically transformed. People are getting saved. They're getting baptized. They're repenting of their sins. They're choosing to follow Christ. And for some reason, one day, you and I, we get the opportunity to go tour this, this brand new church that is in town that's just bursting at the seams. And the pastor gives us a tour of the campus, and we're like, wow, this is great. The lights, the everything, like, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's magnetic, and on and on and on. You're just awestruck by what this church has done. And he takes us to the green room. And in the green room, we see two staff members in the corner, and they're gossiping about somebody. They're, they're, they're spreading little lies and slandering another person. And, and they're saying, did you hear this? Did you hear that? Did, did you see what this? And they're just spreading these, these lies. And in the distance, you see the youth pastor. You know it's the youth pastor because he looks like a youth pastor. Um, 
whatever a youth pastor looks like, but he's in the corner with his girlfriend, right? And, and everybody in the church knows that the girlfriend actually comes over Friday night, spends the night, they, the whole church knows it, spends the night with uh, the youth pastor, leaves early Saturday morning just to, you know, avoid confrontation or anything. Everybody in the church knows it, but nobody's willing to confront it. Nobody's willing to confront the sin. It sounds like Corinthian church. And then walking with the pastor a little bit more, he tells us how he loves the local church. He says, I'm just, I'm, I, I can't get over the local church. But he says, you know what I'm really excited about? I'm really excited about the, the record attendance that, that we're going to have, how we're going to break the, the attendance, how we're just going to explode and we're going to get so big that we just have to go to 20 services on a Sunday. And he says, but you know, there's also another thing that I'm really excited about, and that's the worship conferences. The worship conferences are just going to be absolutely fire. How's that for your word? <laughs> uh, but then after service, we catch a glimpse of what the congregation is like. And all these people that have been coming down from uh, the, the wealthy communities, wherever that may be, they, they decide that, oh, we're going to go to lunch at this super expensive place. And they don't bother to invite anybody else. They've got their clique, their groupie. They're so just, you know, this, this is our stuff. We'll leave you little guys out of it. And, and then all of a sudden, Corinthian Carl gets a text right, Apostle Paul, and he says in his text, Carl, is your church still impacting Yuba City, or is Yuba City impacting your church? That's where the Corinthians were. The Corinthians were so impacted by the culture around them that they forgot that the impact uh, should have been coming from the church and what Jesus had done for them. Uh, they were getting so big, uh, too big for their britches, so to speak. But their church was getting ruined because of the influence that they allowed to come in. Now, not only that, but there were issues going on within the church. You remember uh, a man had his father's wife. There was division. There was people going to uh, court a believer against believers. It, they couldn't figure out their own lawsuit things, issues. They were such trivial things. And Paul says, in loose paraphrase, what is wrong with you guys? Like, if, you've, if I've taught you anything, it's that you should be able to handle your issues uh, between each other. But listen, there is one way that you and I can destroy this church. It's not the conflict from outside. It's the compromise from within. If you think about the many churches that have been destroyed, it hasn't been because people from the outside have been causing chaos. It's been because of their own stuff inside. The slander, the gossip, the division, the abuse of money. Like we talked about last week, Paul's, Paul having the right to be uh, given a salary, if you will, from the churches that he was ministering to. But listen, it always starts from the inside, the compromise. It's not the conflicts from the outside, it's the compromise from the inside. Listen, this church, like the Corinthian church, Corinthian, Corinthian Carl's church, they had all the right theology. They were spot on with what Jesus did for them. They knew doctrine, they understood everything. But listen, they were living it out in all the wrong ways. They were compromising. Uh, and listen, you may have a giant church but it may be full of compromising Christians, compromising leadership, compromising you fill in the blank. And that is a dangerous place to be in. 
See, problems in the church that existed, uh, we've talked about some of these division, right? There was a lot of division going on within the church. Sexual immorality, pride, gossip, slander, believers taking other believers to, to court, idol worship, right? This was all taking place within God's church, and they were okay with it until a leader, until an uncompromising leader speaks up and says, you got to get your stuff together, guys. you got to understand that Jesus died for you. Paul takes him back to the fundamental truths of Scripture, and he says, listen, remember that Christ died for you, not to leave you the way that you are, but so that he can transform you, to change you, because that's what his end goal is, is not for us to stay the same. Anybody grateful for that? Ian, I'm with you on that, yeah. But let's understand this. The letter, uh, we're in chapter 9. After chapter 9 comes chapter 10, in case you didn't realize that. Um, But we've only got six more chapters to go. And it's still messy. After chapter 9, Paul talks about idol worship. Uh, They were steeped in it. Some of them had been brought out of the idol worship. But Paul uh, says, okay, since Christ rescued you from that, saved you from that lifestyle, don't go back. Don't go back living like that. Stay in Christ. Understand all that he has for you. And so we have to understand, yes, this letter was written to a church. And it will apply to this church. But listen, It'll also apply to us as individuals. Notice how I say us, because I'm included in that. The elders are included in that. The most spiritually elite person uh, is included in that. Uh, so, listen, the church in Corinth was a church of compromise. Uh, now, in the first few chapters, actually, Paul addresses some things that the Corinthian church was actually doing right, uh, whereas. <laughs> The book of Galatians, the church in Galatia, wasn't doing things right. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians. He just cuts to the chase. He says, you guys are more wicked than the church in Corinth. But here, Paul commends them for certain things. And then, as we've seen, starting in chapter 6, he really just gets into it. He says, okay, here's the issues. Let's address them. And so, one of the things was, is that they were not aware of what the Lord had commanded in that a workman is worthy of his wages like we talked about last week. But another thing that Paul uh, speaks of is uh, that even though he had the right to take a salary, a compensation from the church, he laid it down. He says, I, I'm, I'm not going to take it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay down my right because Jesus said a workman is worthy of his wages, but I refuse to take it because I don't want to create an obstacle for, for people when they hear the gospel. Verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Remember, in context, Paul is referring to that compensation like I had just talked about. And he, he didn't want to create any hindrance for people when it came to hearing the gospel. His right was to collect compensation from the church that he was ministering to. Uh, verse 14 in chapter 9, it says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But who was Paul? He states it very clearly in some of the other uh, letters that he's written, but here and in uh, three other letters, he states clearly that he's a servant. He is a servant. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, 
What does it say? Servant. How about the next one? Philippians 1.1? Paul and Timothy? Servants. How about the next one? Titus 1.1? Paul, A. So he was a what? Servant. He didn't lord it over. He didn't think that he was better than the Corinthians because he had that encounter on the Damascus road. He was a servant. The word servant in Greek is actually doulo, uh, and it means to become devoted to the service of. Uh, We're all devoted to the service of someone or something. Uh, And when God saved Paul on the road to Damascus, he became a servant, or if we're using our definition of uh, the Greek definition, he became devoted to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, before Christ, you and I were servants, not of Christ. We were slaves to our sin, we were slaves to the flesh, slaves to the world, and Christ came and saved us and broke those chains. Amen? See, when we gave our lives to Christ, he chained us up to him. And actually being chained up to him uh, gave us more freedom than we thought our sin would give to us. Yeah. Ephesians 5.8, it says, For at one time, one time, you were darkness. You remember that time? You remember that time where you were a slave of your sin, where you were chained to darkness, you were chained to the flesh, the world, the devil? Do you remember that? Do you remember how miserable it was? It may have been pleasurable for a season, and you thought, man, I could keep living like this forever, but every time you finished whatever sin you were doing, it just left you more empty. Do you remember that? For you were, you were darkness, and Paul goes on to say, but now, don't you love the butts of the Bible? But now, you are light in the Lord. He doesn't stop there. He says, because you are light in the Lord, there's a certain way you must walk, and that is walk as children of the light. Because Christ has saved you, because he has shown, uh, uh, he has put his light in you, he's called you to walk differently. So let me ask you a question this morning. How are you walking? How are you walking? Are you walking like you used to walk, thinking that, well, I'm coming to church, brought my Bible, you know, I'm, I'm, I got my halo above my head even, um, you know, but then after church, you're anything but a Christian. See, many of us will declare and proclaim that, but there's compromise in our lives. There's unconfessed sin in our lives. There's uh, bitterness and hatred in our lives. Uh, we're not acting like Christians at all. We're, we're, we're doing quite the opposite, just like the church in Corinth was doing. See, anybody can, can confess that they're a Christian. Anybody, even the, the cults, the Jehovah's Witness and Mormons will declare that they're Christians. Listen, anybody can do that. But show me the fruit. Show me how Christ has changed your life. Because if Christ is indeed in your life, your life will be totally transformed. Totally changed. No longer are you enslaved to sin, but you're a slave to Christ. You're a servant of Christ. So Paul chose to make himself a servant. Did you catch that in the verse? It says that he made himself. I have made myself a servant. He had a choice to make. The first point for this morning is this. I must choose to be a servant. You and I must choose to be a servant. Paul had to make a choice. 
And he chose to be a servant of Christ. Paul said he made himself a servant, which can be translated this way, I enslaved myself. Now, oftentimes when our mind goes to slavery, we think of the negative, right? We think of, uh, we think of in history past, we think of uh, uh, African-American black people being slave to, uh, to white people. We think of it in that regard. We think, of, uh, we think of the slavery that is not even in our country. We think of human sex trafficking, right? That type of slavery. We think of all these different types of slavery, and we think of it in a negative sense, uh, which those... They are. Uh, But in this sense, what Paul is saying is that he's ultimately found more freedom in being a slave to Christ than he had in being a wanderer in this world, being lost in this world, being uh, enslaved to his sin. See, in context, Paul is saying he made himself a servant to all. Let's keep it in context, obviously. Paul is saying that I've made myself a servant to all, not in a people-pleasing way. Right? Some of us get hung up in that. We're very much so people pleasers. Uh, we're constantly thinking about uh, what this person thinks of us, and we want to make sure we please this person well. We want to be on their good list. Can we just drop that for a minute? The only person that our aim should be to please is Jesus. But listen, Paul had a choice to be a servant of Christ, and we have that same choice as well. Joshua twenty four fifteen. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. You see that word, choose? Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the God your father served in the region beyond the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, finish it with me, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that your choice today? Who are you enslaved to? Or a better question is, what are you enslaved to? The Bible says that we can only be enslaved to one master. But you have a choice. I have a choice. Romans six sixteen it says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone, anyone, as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you have a choice, and I have a choice. We can either be a slave to sin, or we can be a slave to the Savior. Six chapters after Romans 6, Paul says this. He says, he's basically begging this next church. She's saying, listen, I beg of you, I appeal to you, uh, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God to present. If you notice in the other verse too, Paul already used that word present, and then he uses it again to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, Paul is saying, if you're going to choose to be a slave of anyone, may it be Christ." And once you decide that, may you lay your life down on the altar and give your life up for his sake. The problem with that, though, is that it's a living sacrifice, right? Paul says that. And oftentimes when you put a living sacrifice on the altar, it has a tendency to squirm off the altar. It's the same thing with us. We have a tendency to look back and see, oh, man, that was, that was, that was it back there. 
like the people I used to hang around with, like I, I miss those people. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. See, if you're going to stay on the altar, if you're going to present your body as a living sacrifice, make sure you stay there. That's the best altar to be on. See, when you and I choose to be a servant of Christ, Jesus says this, we become sons and daughters of God. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? See, being a slave to sin will not give you the freedom that is only found in Christ. Sin will bind you up. Just ask Samson. He got into some trouble. Uh, eventually, we'll go to the Old Testament and look at, look at how Samson got into the, the, the slavery of sin for a little bit. Uh, but listen, there is ultimate freedom found in Christ. See, most people will revert to drugs and alcohol to numb some type of pain because they've had a traumatic experience or they've gone through this, that, or the other, and it's usually to numb the pain of something that happened in their life, only to realize when they get off that high or when they get off that buzz or whatever it is, the pain is still there. And so what do they have to do? They go back to it. They go back to the, the bottle. They go back to the drug. They go back to the friends that they shouldn't be around. They go back to sleeping around with this person and that person, only to find that after it's all said and done, they're still empty, there's still pain, and there's still some way that they've got to figure out how to numb that pain. So what do they do? They go back. They go back to what they knew. You know the Bible says, uh, as, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. If you have dogs, and your dogs have ever vomited before, <laughs> you know oftentimes their first choice is to go back to that. That's sin. And the Bible says that anybody who returns back to their folly is a fool. The Bible says that. <laughs> See, going back to alcohol and drugs and even sexual promiscuity, it doesn't take away the pain. Because although it may temporarily numb the pain, it's still there. And they become addicted. They become addicted to the very thing that only brings them temporary uh, numbness. Thinking that the substance is giving them freedom from their pain. From the thing that they're enslaved to. Uh, this week, as I was actually closing up uh, the, after the men's study, uh, there was this gentleman who just wandered in and he called me by name, and I was like, oh, okay, well, we sat down, and um, I knew this guy from the past, and, and uh, not the far past, but the, the neighborhood past, we'll call it, and there was an issue that he was dealing with, and it, it, was, it was drug abuse, substance abuse, and first thing I asked him was, are you using again? Yes. 
And we got to talking about substance and we got to talking about this and, and him understanding that this was only a temporary fix and it wasn't going to solve his issues. And, and, and I just thought of this word substance. I thought of, uh, because that's what we call the, the, the drugs, right? We call them substance, substance abuse, right? And so we, we go to this very thing and I was talking to him about this and, 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 I, and I thought of this verse uh, and I thought of Colossians 2.17. The substance belongs to Christ. Think about it. A substance, by definition, is the real physical matter of which a person or thing consists of and which has a tangible, solid presence. Do you know what drugs have? Do you know what alcohol has? Do you know what sexual immorality has? It doesn't have a solid presence. It's fleeting. It goes away. And that's why Paul says the substance, that solid, tangible presence that you're longing for, is only found in Christ. The bottom line is this, when we choose to serve Christ, we then realize that compared to the things of this world, he is the only solid presence in our life. Listen, if you are going off into drinking and doing uh, drugs or any of that stuff, or maybe you have and the enemy's just right there saying, go back to it, go back to it. Listen, remember this, that the substance belongs to Christ, that the only solid presence in your life is Jesus Christ. See, Paul even acknowledged this. He said before, I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was this religious, like, top guy. He was in the know about everything. He sat under just amazing teaching. Uh, and, and he says, listen, all that, all that is fleeting. All that is garbage. He says in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, he says, but whatever gain I had, and what Paul had was a lot of gain. He gained so much in a worldly sense, but then he goes on to say, I counted, uh, counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Why? I believe he answers it in the next part. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of, this, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul said, there is so much more worth in knowing Christ than there is in the things that I've gained from my past. So, you have to choose. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve sin or are you going to serve the Savior? And Paul here uses three illustrations of how he served the Lord by sharing the gospel with other, others so he could, like he says, win many to Christ. Uh, now, in this verse, it may seem like, wait, is Paul being two-faced? Like, when he's with the Jews, he's acting like Jews. When he's with the weak, he's, act, he's not being hypocritical. He's actually uh, in... in the best way that I can understand it, he's putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But he says in verse 20 through 23, he says, To the Jews, here's the first illustration, uh, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. The second illustration was to those under the law. He says, To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Why? He says that I might win those under the law. The third illustration was those outside of the law. He says, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. And then his fourth illustration was to the weak, right? He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And he says, I have become all things to all people, that by means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. And so in each of these approaches, Paul is very strategic, 
He's very strategic in that he didn't use words that went over their head. <laughs> Do you ever meet people like that sometimes? They come up to you and they've been walking with the Lord for years and they're like, hey, are you sanctified? Are you justified? Are you regenerated? Have you been washed by the blood? You're like, what? Washed by what blood? Like, these words are just so over our head sometimes. And, and let's be honest, sometimes we use it. Because we know what these words mean. And if you don't, that's okay. There's no pressure on you. Uh, but listen, uh, Paul brought these truths of Christ to the bottom shelf. Why did he do that? So they could be reached by those who knew nothing about Christ. He, he didn't put it up here like, haha, look what I got and you don't. He put them down on the bottom shelf so people could understand what it meant to acknowledge that they were a sinner and in need of a savior. Paul would take what they knew ultimately because what they knew compared to what Paul knew. Paul was a smart guy, let's face it. He sat under some great schooling, uh, Pharisee. He knew the law left and right. and so, But he would take what these other people knew and he would incorporate the gospel message into it. Right? So... Paul was absolutely strategic in sharing the gospel. Point number two, don't over-spiritualize the simplicity of the gospel message. Don't over-spiritualize the simplicity of the gospel message. What do I mean by this? Like I just explained, don't go up to somebody when you're sharing your faith and they know nothing about Christ, you know that, and you just start busting out Warren Wearsby keywords to the Christian life, right? Regeneration, adoption, justification, and then all of a sudden as you're just pounding these words into this person, you see this person walking off because they think you're crazy. Don't be weird. <laughs> Don't be weird when it comes to sharing your faith. Listen, the simplicity of the gospel message is this. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you, was buried, rose again from the grave, and if you accept that by faith, you will be saved. Done. And then you let the Spirit do the rest of the work. You let the Spirit speak through you because you're under this truth that the Spirit's already been pre- prepping this person's heart. Here's an example. The other day, I was at uh, one of my least favorite stores, Walmart, um, and I was in the, one of my uh, most favorite aisles, the ice cream aisle, um, and uh, uh, an older gentleman came up to me and, and <laughs> said, man, I wish I could buy that ice cream, and it was the Tillamook, you know, $3,000 ice cream that's got gold in it. Uh, <laughs> They have mac and cheese ice cream now. I mean, if you've ever seen... Never mind. Okay. Ooh, yeah, that's what I say. Um, next potluck, mac and cheese ice cream. Let's <laughs> um, but he came up to me and said, man, I wish I could buy that expensive ice cream, and, and, uh, which turned into ultimately this political conversation about inflation and about how Biden and Harris are screwing everything up and... Which then turned into how he used to be able to pay $2 for his giant jug of mayonnaise. Now he has to pay $5 for his. This all happened at Walmart, people. Um, (laughs) And so I was listening and, you know, being as respectful as possible. And my my middle son was looking up like, what is this dude talking about? Like, this is, uh, and, and, and trust me. In the culture that we live in today, everything can go political. Everything, even the church. 
Um, and so I wanted to diffuse that because I was not about to stand in the ice cream aisle of Walmart and talk about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. <laughs> um, but as he finished his mayonnaise talk, <laughs> I, I, I politely diffused the Joe Biden trail that he was about to go on. And I said, I have a secret for you. Don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope in the ice cream. Don't put your hope in the mayonnaise. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Did I say anything about adoption, regeneration, justification? I didn't say anything about how if he was justified, the ice cream would taste better. Uh, I don't think that is possible, but uh, there was nothing of that. And, and for some of us, for some of you this morning, you, you might say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. That's my job. I didn't say anything about being a pastor to this guy. For all intents and purposes, the way my beard was looking that day, I could have been a homeless guy. <laughs> Listen, but you plant the seed. You water. You don't know if you're planting the seed or if you're watering the seed. But at the end of the day, our responsibility as believers is to share the gospel. Jesus is our hope. Why wouldn't we want to share that? The bottom line is this, once again, put the cookies on the bottom shelf or Put the ice cream and mayonnaise on the bottom shelf. The truth of what Jesus did for us, listen, is too valuable for us to put in a place where the lost cannot reach it. Think about it. When you were lost and somebody came and shared the gospel with you, was there ever a time where they used these big words and you didn't understand? Some of, some of you, yes, they used these words and it just scared whatever out of you. Um, but listen, when you were lost, somebody put it in a way so easy for you to understand that you were convinced that you needed Jesus. Listen, be tactful, be relatable. If somebody comes up to you and talks about gas prices, somehow, some way, with tact, figure out how to change it into the topic about how Christ can provide for all their needs. I saw it the other day. The same God who provided for us when gas was a dollar is the same God who is going to provide for us when gas is $10. Amen? <laughs> okay. So why did Paul become all things to all people? There's two reasons. Reason number one is verse 22, that I might save some. Now, can we all just get this out of the way? Paul was not Jesus. He was not. Paul was an amazing man of God, but he was still a sinner. Even the greatest of apostles was still a sinner. He was not Jesus. He could not save anyone, and he was fully aware of that. But one of his reasons is that I might save some. So what exactly does that mean? He means what Jude meant. In Jude chapter 1, verse 23, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Okay, what does Jude mean? Jude can't save anybody either. Let's break down Jude's verse, if you will. Save, it means to bring safely, right? To restore health. Right? Think about a lifeguard situation. Somebody's drowning and a lifeguard sees this person drowning and this person uh, is flailing its arms. Do you, anybody ever been to the beach? Okay, just, okay. Pond, pond? Do people drown in ponds? Yes, I guess they do. Uh, but there's no lifeguard presence. I, I better get going here. Okay. 
others, right? This, uh, this next word, others, who, which, obviously we know this word, that, or by, right? By means of. It's more than just by, it's by means of. By means of what? Snatching. Or in another way, to carry off, to steal away, to catch, right? And then the last two, out. More than just the word out, like you're out of here. It's separation. To be separated from somebody and then fire. Flames. And I think we all understand what Jude is talking about in specific. It's the flames of hell. Put it all together, it could be read this way if you're using the definitions of the word. To bring safely who by means of catching or carrying off, separating them from the eternal flames of hell. This is what Jude is saying. He says, listen, that we, you and I, Christians, might snatch people out, carry people out of the flames of hell. And some of us know people who are going to those flames of hell. The question, though, still hasn't really been answered. So how do we save people? Because if Paul could win people, if Jude could save people, you ready for the answer? How, How do we save people? You can't. You can't. So we need to stop acting like little, little miniature versions of the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do in the other individual's life and just back up and say, God, if you want to use me as a vessel, I'm available. But listen, your job is not to save people. My job is not to save people. Christ is our Savior. And that's what Paul is alluding to. Win some to Christ. He knows full well that he can win some, but he can't save some. You can convince people of their need for Christ. You can persuade people of their need for Christ. But you cannot save people. See, when, when, when we win people over to the Lord by trusting uh, the Spirit has already been working, when we win people that way, it makes a big difference. When we rely on the Spirit at work rather than our human intellect, right? What we know, relying on the Spirit is far greater than relying on our human flesh. The bottom line is this, because you and I do know people who are going to hell. The bottom line is this, we should be moved to share the gospel with those who are lost, because without Christ, they are going to hell. See, now, I don't want your motivation to be this. I don't want your motivation to win some or share the gospel. I don't want your motivation to be because the pastor told you so. I'm just telling you what's in God's word. Let's do one better. Let's share the gospel with with those who are lost because Jesus commanded us to. He said, go and make disciples. He says, go and preach the gospel. He didn't say anything about, make sure you listen to uh, your pastor. He says, no, make sure you listen to me through your pastor, through your elder. So what are we going to do? Let's share the gospel. Let's share the gospel with a dying and, and broken world. The second reason is this, in verse 23, Paul says the reason why he becomes all things to all people is for the sake of the gospel, that I, might, uh, that I may share with them in its blessing. The gospel is offensive already. The gospel is incredibly offensive. You and I don't need to add any more offense to it. Sometimes there are pretty offensive believers, uh, very cold, very uh, lack of compassion. They're, they're just very rough around the edges. I know some people like that. Uh, 
But listen, how is the gospel offensive? Well, for starters, it is inclusive and exclusive. It's an inclusive and exclusive message. The Jesus of the gospels is offensive because he's inclusive, but he's also exclusive. Uh, The church is offended by his inclusivity. He includes everybody. He doesn't, he doesn't put uh, any uh, cap on his invitation to come. He says, come to me all. He said all. He, he didn't say the people who are righteous and who have all their ducks in a row. He said all. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, which means all of us. <laughs> but the church is offended because that means everybody is invited. There are many churches who, uh, when they see somebody who comes into the door uh, and, and they're not a believer or they smell like beer or they smell like weed or they smell like, you know, whatever it might be, or they, they're just drowning in sexual sin or, or they're just, you know, their, their shirt may be a little bit too revealing. And why are we to, to punish them? They don't know Christ. So why should we expect them to operate any different? And the church gets all hung up on this. Uh, The church takes offense at this at times. And and here's the answer to this. Sinners is not an exclusive term. It's not just a few individuals that are sinners. It's everybody. Everybody is a sinner. Craig mentioned it in communion today. For all have sinned. And if that means all have sinned, guess what that also means? It means that all of us are sinners. The only difference is is that some sinners have understood and accepted that Jesus died for their sins and that he came to seek and save the lost, while the other handful of sinners have not accepted it or have flat out rejected that Jesus paid the price for them. The bad news is this. Apart from Christ, you are on your way to hell. That's bad news. And, and I would venture to say uh, that many of us, oftentimes, uh, we know that there are people who are headed to hell. But it's not in us to share the gospel because we don't sense an urgency. We don't sense an urgency to actually share the gospel with people who are going to be in this place that, the, that Jesus says the, the fire is never quenched. So let me ask you a question this morning. How broken are you when it comes to knowing that people are going to hell? How broken are you over that? Does it keep you up at night? Do you know coworkers who, who may not know Jesus as their Savior and who are headed to hell? Do you know family members? You see, because there's going to be a day where if you are in Christ, you and I will be in, in paradise. We will be in eternity with Jesus. And we'll be in heaven But when we get there, there may be some who aren't there. So now is our time to share the gospel. Now is our time to let them know, hey, I'm a sinner just like you. And Jesus died for us so we could be forgiven of our sins. The good news is this, and I love the way Trevin Wax, a blogger on the Gospel Coalition, said this. He says, Jesus wants to change all of us and change us all In grace, he opens the clenched fist of the religious hypocrite, and he narrows the vision of the open-minded sinner until he is the only one in view. How? By destroying self-righteousness through his death and resurrection. That's the gospel. 
So Paul is essentially saying this. I have become all things to all people because uh, the gospel is already offensive. The gospel is already offensive. In verse 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, uh, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in an imperishable for, uh, excuse me, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, may, I myself should be disqualified. So in Paul's days, uh, there were these games, much like the Olympics, called the Isthmian Games, uh, which took place near Corinth, and they were held in honor of the mythological god Poseidon. Uh, they were held every two years, and in, included in these games were equestrian, gymnastics, music, poetry, uh, wrestling, boxing, running, chariot racing. That'd be so awesome if we had chariot racing in our Olympics. <laughs> but the winner of these events, they would receive wreaths of pine leaves around their heads, remission of taxes, <laughs> fame, and they'd have a victory song. So if Jordan won at music or poetry, they would have a song just for uh, Jordan. We're working on that song, right? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but Paul specifically points out two events. Running and boxing. Uh, running, I... Yeah. Any runners? Okay. Tyrone? The door's over there, so... <laughs> But running, some, some, of us, uh, some of us love it. <clears throat> um, others of us hate it. Uh, yeah, amen. <laughs> I remember one time my sister-in-law was in town and we were living in Woodland. If you know anything about Woodland, their sidewalks are horrible. Um, and so we were running and... Uh, this, I don't know what happened to the sidewalk. Maybe a root got underneath it or somebody just did it on purpose and they got a camera around to see people trip. Um, but I saw that, I mean, it was like, I can't even describe it. This sidewalk was coming up and I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And I'm telling myself, I'm not going to trip over it. I'm not going to trip over it. Two seconds later, I go flying. <laughs> I, and it was the most miserable thing in the world. It doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about. Okay, um, <laughs> My sister-in-law got a glimpse of it. She was laughing hysterically, and she didn't even help me up. Uh, I'm, still, I'm still trying to get over it, yeah. But from a game's perspective, uh, Paul was saying there's only one that receives the prize. There's only one. Uh, but for us, the Christian life is likened to a, a, a run, a, a, a race, uh, but not a sprint, a marathon. Uh, one that takes a while to get through. Now, please understand this. As believers, we are not in competition against one another. We have a race to run. And listen, when another, <laughs> this is how it applies, when another believer falls down, <laughs> you help that one up. See what I did there? <laughs> but the prize is this. <laughs> Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is a shifted focus upward where Christ is seated. Listen, if you're a Christian, 
God has called you to run. And he will give you the strength to do that. Not a sprint, but a marathon. It is a determination that I am going to follow Christ through whatever season, all the while keeping my focus upward. And lastly, Paul talks about boxing. Anybody like boxing? Tyrone, is that you? You like boxing? Okay. Uh, He says, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. The third point and the final point is this, discipline the flesh. Discipline the flesh. The word discipline is ultimately a weak translation. It can be translated actually this way in the Greek, to strike one under the eye or to give him a black eye. So Paul is saying that's how I beat my body. Not physically, please, don't do that. If you sin, don't, you know, don't, don't do that. Paul is saying, listen, I have disciplined the flesh. I have disciplined the flesh because I know that In me, he even says, in me, nothing good dwells. He says, in my flesh, that is, there's nothing good that dwells inside of me. Anything that our flesh craves is not good for us. And so Paul is saying, listen, I have to discipline my flesh. I have to get to this point where where when I have this fleshly craving, that I'm able to say, nope, not today. Not today, where I'm able to say, okay, Holy Spirit, you take charge, lead me and guide me. Listen, if you're being led by your flesh today, let me tell you this much, it will lead you to destruction. But if you're being led by the Spirit, it will lead you to life everlasting. Paul preached about the gospel, and he says, if we were to go off and give into the flesh, and someone were to see him give into the flesh, knowing that he was an advocate for the greatest news, an ambassador for the greatest news, ever given to anybody, if they were to see him given to the flesh, his testimony and his witness for Christ would be tarnished. So where are you this morning with the disciplining of your flesh? Remember the church we talked about beforehand where it had 14 services, the pastor was slick and had a bunch of hair and (laughs) he just was awesome. Uh, the services were, it was just crazy, but they had those issues. Those issues were individual issues. Some of those issues were because they were not disciplining the flesh. They were not being led by the Spirit. They were not living in the Spirit. Listen, the question is, are you like the youth pastor? living in sexual immorality, living in sexual promiscuity. Maybe uh, you're, you're married today and you think, oh, it's just a, you know, just a little abuse of our finances together. You know, we're just spending this or, you know, what, what, what is it? You fill in the blank. You know. But listen, you can only hide your sin for so long. Moses even said, your sin will find you out. Or are you like the two staff members gossiping and slandering others. Maybe you just can't get enough of gossip of the flesh. Gossip is sin. Slandering is sin. Listen, let's live by the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen? Amen. So, make this your aim. Choose to be a servant of Christ over a slave of your sin. Don't over-spiritualize the simplicity of the gospel message. And discipline yourself to where the flesh isn't in control, but the Holy Spirit is. Amen?
Let's all stand and we'll close out in prayer and a chorus. But if you need prayer, uh, I'd be happy to pray with you after service. Tyrone is up front too and Craig and Ian. Um, but listen, if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior today, uh, don't put it off. Maybe you need to recommit your life to him today. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you've put a choice in front of us, ultimately to serve sin or to serve the Savior. And we know that as we choose to serve the Savior, Lord, we'll find so much more in serving you than we would in serving our sin or serving the flesh. Lord, help us to discipline the flesh. When it rears its ugly head, as oftentimes it does, Lord, I pray that we would be able to say, nope, there's no room in me for that because you have occupied all the space in our lives, Lord. I pray that if anybody needs to accept you as their savior today or if anybody needs to come back to you, Lord, I pray that they would, that you would move in their hearts, that you'd help them to see their great need for you as their great savior. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your great and mighty name that we pray. Amen. to share your good news in this community. And we pray that you are with everyone as they go home and bless their weeks, Lord. In your name, Jesus Christ, our King, amen. Have a blessed week, everyone. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.